Hello and welcome back to Wavemaker Talks, a podcast discussing a range of positively provoking topics to get us all thinking about how we can unlock maximize and transform both personally and professionally this season we're celebrating black history month with our black and proud series hosted by me fella me lovelin over the four episodes we'll be looking at how black history is taught in schools navigating 2020 as a black person and reflecting upon a range of experiences and identities in advertising and media in this episode we are joined again by andrea davies client operations director for wavemaker global paterno odong activations partner for wavemaker global and peter anthony social media and influencer lead for huawei as we talk about the effects 2020 has had on our black sense of self Yes, 2020 has been unprecedented, uncharted and unpredictable and all the other ums for everyone. But with the re-amplification of Black Lives Matter, how did we feel specifically as black people? So grab your tea, super warm or spice punch and let's get into it. Where does one even start? Start back in Jan where life was, life was calm, as yeah. calm as can be. And then okay. Corona came and said, I'm going to shake it up. And then racism came, and so I'm going to shake it up even more. <laughs> and, um, for me, personally, with uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole thing was overwhelming and insane and, you know, yeah. all those words. But for me, Speak the greatest part was um, with the black, the Blackout Square, Blackout Tuesday, I was like, I don't mm. understand what's going on here. I thought it was performative nonsense. And someone mm. was like... What do you mean? I was like, what do you mean what do I mean? What is this for? And they were like, we're raising awareness. I was like, raising awareness of what? They're like, raising yeah. awareness of racism. I was like, what are you raising awareness of? What do you mean? We have to be aware of racism. What, why, why don't you know what racism is? Like, I just could not get my mind around it. So I think it was just strange to watch like tons of white people having this like awakening, like, oh my God, racism exists. Um, mm. And it was it was a lot. I cried on teams more than I should have done, but yeah, for sure, it was definitely trying times. And for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, this Blackout Tuesday was a thing on Instagram where everybody was just posting a black square. So Black Lives Matter movement erupted, and there was this hashtag Blackout Tuesday, and to join in you would post a black square on your Instagram. Now, I was pissed when everybody on my damn Instagram was doing this. And it honestly, it made me, you know, I didn't like Instagram for a long time. And to be honest, my view of Instagram has changed dramatically forever. But you know, the, the performative part of it was definitely a, a part that I, you know, didn't sit right with me because it just felt like for the most part, or maybe not for the most part, but for a lot of it, it was just, you know, people from whatever colour you are just posting a black square. There was nothing attached to it. It wasn't you know, in, it wasn't actually informative. Like thinking about it from a middle-class white person that doesn't have a lot of black, black friends, but they have this one, this one friend that has posted a black square. Underneath it, all it says is Blackout Tuesday. Yeah, it means nothing. It literally means nothing to that person. 
How do you guys feel about performativeness? Can I flip the question? Controversial what, what, over here. Love a, love a flip. What, what would you have liked to have seen in its place? I mean, I'd rather have seen an infographic. If you were going to post any, post something on Instagram, post an infographic, something with actual, that you can take and learn from. Because at the end of the day, I understand that like, especially if you're an influencer, micro or macro or whatever, you have a brand and you have an aesthetic and you have filters that you use. There were so many infographics that were fitting into that space. So it's like, even if you are posting just to, you know, get people off your back to be like, oh my God, I don't want anyone to think that I'm a racist or whatever. Even though that's not genuine and doesn't have great intentions, it may still help someone in the long run. There might be someone that is in your following that reads it and takes it in. So I would have much rather someone if you're going to post, post an infographic, post some information, find some, make one if you want that's within your theme, your content, because that was a lot of the backlash, I think, influencers were receiving. And that's another thing as well. At the end of the day, it really is, unfortunately, the, 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 the world that we're in, some of you will just have a greater impact than others. That's the be and end all. Some of you will have more people to influence and more of a following than someone who's got 50K followers and someone who's got 50. So it's like... It is a bit, it is a bit unfair because it is a bit of pick and choose who you're going to be angry at. But once you're in the spotlight, in some sense, you kind of have a responsibility, and um, to do something about it. Unfortunately, that's the cookie crumbles. Yeah, I mean, I agree as well in the sense of, you know, there was so much out there that was being posted up in a general sense. Like the black square was almost like. It was a tick box ticking exercise where, you know, as Lovelyn said, you are literally just doing it to get people off your back and make make them think that you're not a racist. But when when there were people genuinely posting up information, like that black square has so much space on it that you can fit some form of information, whether it be you know, even if it's click the link in my bio for a link to a way to help mm. or a, here's a donate, like a link to donation or something like, but just literally just posting up a black square and saying Blackout Tuesday. I understand it's raising awareness for the cause, but if there's nothing attached to it, if there's no substance with it, then it's almost redundant. Obviously, I don't, I don't know whose idea it was or who you know, came up with the concept, but it probably, if we are to hazard a guess, um, was probably uh, a white person who wanted to do something and was coming from a good place. That's a guess. It's a, no, it's not even a guess. It's, it's an assumption. Yes. Um, and it's either that or it's, um, it came from a black person who, as we said on you know, episode one, didn't have a clear vision or viewpoint as to, um, yeah, this is the complaint, this is the context, this is the issue, but what are we trying to do to move it forward or what can we do to, what's the next step, right? What's, mm. What does progress look like? What are we trying to achieve? And I think, you know, if, if we're looking at, you know, what we're talking about this episode, I think sometimes a lot of that happens in our industry, one from an advertising perspective where we have people trying to speak to certain cultures or take creative license 
from certain cultures without involving those cultures in the conversations where that creative is either being signed off or being approved or just consult. The other part of that is the tokenism or the, the I guess, the, the action that we see companies take where it's just diversity. And, you know, diversity and inclusion has been a, on the agenda for a number of years now. And I feel like a lot of what has happened is similar to a black square on your feed, right? It's just stuff that can allow them to um, take that feel, box. Yeah, box ticking exercises. And for me, and I think what's important about this conversation, about this podcast is digging deep into what that experience is, but then also what is progress? You know, how do we start to, to do things? And hopefully, I think what has come from this is that CEOs and MDs and the diversity and inclusion sponsor, if they existed before, is they're now putting the conversation, you know, and take the direction into our hands and trying to let us lead and you know uh, mm-hmm. and that that to me is is the lesson and the more kind of i guess the takeaway is the more poignant thing is that we ourselves need to be given a platform we ourselves need to demand a platform but also when we are given that platform we need to have a clear idea as to what progress is because we're good at com- we can be good at complaining as a human race not just as black people we can be good about complaining about the things that are wrong but we also need to use that same energy and wisdom and knowledge to define what correction looks like. I feel that. And from our uh, producer, um, Toby, we have had word that the Blackout Tuesday is stemmed off of the original initiative, hashtag the show must be paused, created by music execs. Brianna, I'm not going to try and say that. Ajima. God bless you. And Jamila Thomas, Senior Director of Marketing at Atlantic Records. So it was, you know, it started from the music industry and it became pop culture, which is fair enough. So it happened on a Tuesday because I think I don't work in music, but I think Tuesdays are quite big in the music industry. But I think it it raised awareness. So everybody going through Instagram, seeing those black squares, I was, you know, like seeing these black squares, it raised awareness and it made me feel good as a black woman to be like, you know what, people are listening now, finally. It's, it's all out there. It's there. So I know we could have done an infographic or we could have, you know, pointed it to a particular direction, but I think it did what it was meant to do, which was raise awareness and tell people, hey, we're here. We're not going anywhere. On that, I just want to add, I think, regardless of where it stemmed from and what the original purpose was, where it's taken us now is, I mean, we, I would never have said we'd be in this position a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. Like now anything that happens is almost a direct call out to if someone is being racist or subconsciously racist or has said something that they don't deem to be racist, but it still is like it it gives people an opportunity to call it out. And I think now on Instagram where, you know, most people get their news or their innocent news, even ahead of Twitter, like things you see on there, it, it, it makes people pause. It makes people stop. Like I'm guilty. I, I posted a black square and for me, it was almost a sense of, I don't know what's going on. I don't know exactly what the meaning is, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be not a part of this because mm. I feel like my reasoning for posting is to continue raising awareness, even though I still don't understand it. So, I mean, you can always question, should you make an action if you don't fully understand something? But if, you're, if your reason or your intent is positive, at least for yourself, I think... Mm that's ultimately what the goal is. And like I said, where we are now, I couldn't have seen us be here 
five years ago. Me personally, I can definitely uh, like shy away from wanting to hear and know and see everything that's going on. Like for a long time, as a black man, like all of the stuff that you read and you hear about on the news about us is usually negative. It is usually, you know, a black man's been killed by the police or, you know, spinning some sort of rhetoric for, you know, a black man's downfall. And it didn't sit well with me at all. And it got to the point where I was numb. It got to the point where, you know, for a long time, I didn't want to hear any of that stuff. I didn't want to see any of that stuff because, you know, it, it would rub you the wrong way. And I remember having a conversation with my mum where she was like, you know, if you feel numb, it means you don't care. And I was like, what? How, how, first of all, you cannot tell anybody how to react to something because you, you're not them. You don't know what has happened in their life. You don't know how, everybody has a right to react the way that they want to. So my reaction was to be numb. But after she said that, I'm not going to lie, it triggered something in me where that numbness turned into my curiosity. That curiosity turned into me being very angry. And even till today, I am still very angry. And it hurts. It hurts, but... I, I like the fact that conversations happened. That, 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 that's it. I, I like the fact that a lot of people ask a lot of questions at the back of everything and people started reading new things. A lot of people did. I saw some really great infographics. I was just thinking part of what I was trying to sort of plug away in my head is you know, what are the great infographics I saw. I, I saw really good reading lists. I, I saw great descriptions of what racism in America is or South mm -hmm. America or Britain. And you know, I, I, I saw like people talking about allies and how to talk and how to get involved and how to get comfortable. So you know, there, there was a lot of stuff that sort of came off the back of it. But you know, I think a simple message like that is a perfect expression of just raising awareness and getting people motivated and involved. How do we deal with that numbness and that fatigue? Because I guess there's always that balancing act of like trying to be well informed and keeping up with everything as much as you can. Also just taking in so much content that you're just like, I'm overwhelmed, I cannot keep reading bad news after bad news after bad news. So how do we draw the line how do you guys draw the line what works for you the scary thing is i don't know the answer to that one and i don't know yeah. if i ever will I, i've heard that i sort of i've grown up with the news on you know the, the news was always on in my house and it, it and you know my dad was sort of like he loved to watch about war for some reason that's his stuff but um, you you sort of like watch all these stories of war and i, I still remember like the got the first gulf war and sort of like the stuff that was going on in documentaries and you know, just becoming more and more numb about it. And, you know, you see these adverts of, like, these aid missions are going into Africa, these children with bloated stomachs. And, you know, it's sort of like, it doesn't affect you as much. You don't get as moved by it. It, it kind of hits me because I've, you know, once upon a time I did some fundraising for a charity and I, was, I had to sit down and sort of read this script. Um, you know, it's a bit of telephone fundraising. And I, I actually sat down and I had to engage with the message. And you, you're sort of reading it repeatedly and you go, Oh, this is not good. <laughs> this is not. This is this. This stuff is really a problem. Like, why aren't people mm. doing more about it? It's disturbing, but I don't know the answer, and mm. I, I don't know how we get there. Maybe it, it is more, you know, movements, more, more groundswell, more like blacks blackout Tuesdays, and you know, more questions that get asked because things do crack through.
in terms of avoiding the numbness, I think it's like with all things, it's managing your own, I guess, um, your own well-being. So for me personally, I, I controversially, or maybe not controversially, I haven't watched the, the George Floyd video. I haven't watched that the whole nine minutes. I've chosen not to, because I just, I can't. And I think somebody said it well in the sense that, you know, with shootings, it's kind of like, oh, oh. But to sit there and to kind of like watch the, the eight minutes of sack. And yeah, so that for me is a personal choice, just in the sense that that's, yeah, that's something that I can't put myself through knowing that somebody had to live that. Building on what, what Pat said is that, and, and what I've, I guess I'd, I'm probably repeating on this is, I think the next step for us in terms of avoiding that numbness is seeing change. And I think the biggest way for us to, uh, to get change, yes, I think Blackout Tuesday and, and I think everything else that was happening simultaneously, and I don't want to get into attribution modeling in terms of what's contributed the most to the, to the um, advertising joke. And, um, but, the, but the biggest, <laughs> the, the, to me, is now that we're here, how do more black people get a seat at the table? Whether that's in government, whether that's in policy, whether that's in organization, whether that's you know, in boardrooms, um, whether that's in entertainment, film, television, sport, managers of you know, clubs and owners of football teams and right across society. How do those governing bodies come up with policies that mandate that enough people of colour are being interviewed for roles or considered for consortiums when they're you know, selling sports teams? And within organisations, how are we making sure that we're creating enough leaders from different cultures? To me, once those people are given, given a seat at the table, they can start to contribute to the concepts that people who have no idea of the existence that we live have been spending the last 20 years wasting diversity and inclusion money trying to come up with these loose concepts. I think there we'll start to see change. And then, but then I think that balance of numbness, there's, there's, a, there's a positive force that can start to help to, if we start to see change, that will start to balance out just the negative. Does that make sense? Because if all we're seeing is negative, how do we start to create negative to counteract the numbness that's coming from the negativity? How do we create positives? And that to me is, is the biggest thing. I mean, I like, I like the question that Ant actually posed, posted in the group. Ant, what are you saying? Yeah, within misrepresentation, representation in boardrooms, or just certain, certain situations, do we need a quota? Or is it, recruitment in general into certain positions into certain industries into certain roles in 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 business like is it a quota that needs to be met do we need to at least hit the 13 percent of what's in britain black people in britain in every single industry do you need to have the seven percent in london in in every single industry does that need to be met or is it a case of recruitment from schools from teaching like how, how do you do it how do you go about it I will hold my hands up and say that I do not know. But Andrew, what do you think? So I think it's, it's a mixture of both. I don't think quotas is the answer. I think it's about giving people the opportunity. It's about giving people the knowledge of the industry. Like, I don't know how you guys got to know about media, but I fell into it by accident. I think it's about giving the people the knowledge about the industry, the opportunity, and then the skills to, for them to succeed in that industry and for companies to have proper retention programs so that black people can raise the ranks and then the tide can change. That's personally what I think it is. I think if you start on the quota, quota route, it's just a, a disaster. 
I do think companies should be targeted, though. Um, CEOs should be targeted to say, right, you know, you need to have X amount of black people, entry level, middle rank, senior level. I think that needs to be in their objectives, targets, etc. But I, I don't think quotas are necessarily the way to yeah. go. The term quotas is way too global. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it's just it's just a sledgehammer to do the job when actually you need to look at every organization individually. Mm. You need to look at every you know, setting individually and say, okay, what is right? I mean, if, you, if you've got a company that services a small community in Southpool, you, you have to go, what is right for that community depending on what your mix is because it doesn't look like the rest of the UK in that small community. If, you, if you're serving an entire country, you have to say, okay, what is right for an organization which serves an entire country? And then once you do that, yeah, you have to sort of look at, you know, not just equal opportunities, but equal, you know, are we getting to some kind of outcome that makes sense? And if, you, if we're not getting to those outcomes, what's getting in the way? You know, so take the time to be honest and look at, you know, those blockages and say, actually, we need to deal with these things. So I'm, quotas are not the answer. I don't, I don't think, I mean, they, they are a tool that can be used in certain cases, and I'm sure people have used it effectively, but I, I, th- I think it's, far more important to sort of take time, set the correct targets, work with the right people and figure out, okay, are we going in the right direction? I definitely feel like quotas should be a thing, but it's definitely more of what is a target rather than, you know, you have to meet those, those quotas. Like the, the common argument that always comes uh, with the whole quotas argument is that, you know, you don't find people, that, that these might be people that aren't qualified for these roles that you're putting them in. But, you know, my counter argument to that would be people have been getting roles just off the, the back of their names for, for centuries. And these are people that don't necessarily know how to do the job. But if you are able to train people up people that are in these sectors with the proper training, people will be able to fill those roles and do it effectively. Like there's nothing really stopping an organization that is committed to having diversity on their board to making it happen. On on the back of that, you said people get roles on the back of their names, but people also have been turned down from roles just from their name or from their background. And then those will be people that are actually qualified for the job, but just because your name is Afordi or your name is Oluwa something, it may, it may not sit well with, the, with certain people. So I do and I don't believe in quotes. I think it's, I think um, Pat used the term, it's a tool. I think everything that Pat has said has almost um, laid the groundwork for how you should look at quotas, targets, however, however you want it to be uh, phrased to me it's understanding the context of an organization and then uh using the necessary tools to affect change and it's not necessarily quotas in terms of how many people you employ there are different ways to implement a, a tool or a technique right you're not just saying quotas on the number of people that you're employing but say for instance with the nfl they have what's called the rooney rule which is you have a quota on how many people of color you have to interview right? So Mm. 20% of your candidates have to be, that helps you to overcome unconscious bias because when you're reading CVs, like, Oh, I've got to fill that quota. So it's not, it's, you're not telling them to employ people of of color. You're helping them to overcome their own barriers by saying, I've got to get at least 10 of them in here. And then when they start talking, then it's just like, 
surprise, surprise, he's just a normal guy who understands the game of American football or who understands media. But then if you look at our own industry, which is media, advertising, quota isn't an issue because we have a lot of young people of color coming at the exec level. So that's not an, a tool that we need to implement. It's how do we, um, and somebody said retention. So it's not a one size fits all solution, but it is something that I think can be in the tool belt to affect change. Sure. So, I mean, when, I, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened, I got a lot of my white friends coming to me, asking me if I was all right, if everything's all good, like, how are you feeling? How am I feeling? And, what can you know, I do? what can I do? Is there anything that I can do to help you? Like, I'm, I'm really, really help here for you. Like, you know, really showing me that there was this element of really feeling white guilt. So, I mean, my question to you guys is, did you have the same sort of experience? And what do you actually think about it? Like, do you think it comes from, like, I know that my friends, it came from a good place, but, you know, in certain instances, it can also come as just, you know, once again, another tick box ticking exercise for them. I think um, we have different friends. I think my, none of that my white friends true. really, none of my white friends really reached out to me, to be oh. honest. Um, to, to check if I was okay or not. And I think for me, it was only when one of them actually did, who was a, an, an ex-boss, um, an ex-wave maker boss, actually, I love him. Um, he reached out to me and, and, you know, he was like, I'm really thinking of you. And it was only then when it suddenly kind of hit me and I was like, actually, why hasn't anyone else reached out to me? You know, why, hasn't, why haven't any of my other friends reached out to me? And it was at that point where I think, you know, Lovelyn touched on it on the first episode um, about, you know, the, the, the crying sessions that ensued on teams where we, you know, we then we banded together and we, we started speaking about it as a community. So I think I had a completely different experience to you. Um, and I think, it, and I had a lot of conversations whereby it was like, well, you know, why are people in the UK upset about this when it happened in the US? So mm. I had a completely different experience. Um, I uh, personally actually fell out with my friends. Um, in the beginning because I was I, I had come with like guys like I, I need I haven't seen anything from you on Instagram and I don't always believe that Instagram is 100% the way in which you should uh, you know like express yourself and I obviously understand people doing it for performances and like I was talking about earlier but I just need to know and I'm not even saying you should post but I just need to know that you understand the depth of this and what exactly is going on and a lot of the white fragility and a lot of the backlash was, I'm not a racist. How, how could you ask me? I'm not racist. Of course I wouldn't. Of course I understand. Da, 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 da. And I was like, well, I understand um, what you're saying. And I'm not calling you a racist. I'm just understanding. Do you, do you get the depths in which this goes to? This, is, this isn't just, a, like you said, Andrew, like a, a Batman has been killed across the, across the ocean in America. This is how it affects me on an everyday basis. And also we've just generally never had the conversation. Like these are people that I grew up with. So um, when we were like 12, we're not having this conversation, but now as an adult, I've realized like, oh my God, we've actually never really talked about this. And I don't really talk about my experiences as a black woman with you. Because if I need to talk to you about that, I'll talk to other black women. I'll talk to my family, etc. So like, how do you feel? And I definitely got, a huge backlash to the point where we didn't speak um, for like nearly two months because I was just like, I need to, to work this through and I need to work this out. But it wasn't to the point where I was like, I want to lose you as friends or anything. 
Um, I just needed them to have a, a greater understanding of the situation, which, which we got there in the end. I think we got there. Um, it did just take me for a bit of a spin in that because these are girls I grew up with. I think everyone's kind of had a, their own unique ex- like experience of it. Like for me personally, I just didn't want to hear anything else. Like so many people had reached out, some that I speak to regularly, some that I hadn't spoken to in a while. And it was just a case that like, for instance, the killing of George Floyd, that sort of video, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but I'd seen, I might've seen that 10 times before in the last six months from just different people. You know, it's something that is very much in my face or in our faces. And I'd seen it on the news. I'd seen it on my phone. I'd, I'd heard about it. I've seen it in, from personal experiences. Like this is not new news. So to have people now come in at that point all at once, which was too much, was quite overwhelming. Like I just did, I just wanted to switch off. So turning off my social media and just like, just don't reach out to me. That was my natural reaction. But then at the same time, if I try to, if I tried to relate it to any other experience, for instance, like someone grieving, you, you would want to reach out and just be like, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? So from a certain aspect, I could understand some of my white friends reaching out. But at the same time, that wasn't the moment. And my question, my question actually on that is who's responsible? Is it us to teach people like how to communicate with us when things like that happen? Or is it on people who aren't black to just be aware, like to learn, to understand like, how, to, how to speak on certain issues? Everyone should take responsibility to educate themselves, I think, right? Uh, uh, if we're talking about adults. Everyone should take responsibility to educate themselves because the same way I I guess we spoke about educating ourselves, that information is available for everyone to find and to seek out. I think having the dialogue and having a conversation about things and checking in, I think that's where the relationship element comes. And I think those people, if they're coming at you from a place of love and care, the same way if you are dealing with the bereavement of a very, very close family member to you, if you said, I don't really want to talk right now, that person's response would naturally be, I'm here when you're ready to talk. And I think the same would be true for this in this instance. So if that response is different and it's, you know, it's, um, it becomes an you know, explosive situation or whatever, then that's where motives are questioned. But I think we can help to educate people who need additional context about our own experiences, but about the, the, the issue as it pertains to the world, that information is readily available for everyone to educate themselves on. Mm, yeah, agreed. Just a quick one. Did anyone see that Piers Morgan interview with Dizzy Rascal? I refuse to watch him. <laughs> bouncing around where Piers Morgan asks Dizzy Rascal, I think it was like, well, what's, your, what's your view on everything that's happening with the Black Lives Matter and with the march and the protests? Yeah. Dizzy Rascal's response is like, do I look Why like a spokesman? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's, that's kind of powerful, man, because like, at some point you sort of go, like, I, I'm, I'm not a spokesman for these things. You know, you've got to go do your own research. If I'm not on social media, like, outcrying about it, kind of don't really want to get asked about things. It's awkward. I find it weird. Yeah. Mm. So how do you feel about this? You know, what do you think? It was like, I, I'm not your resident black spurt, man. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Please don't. It, it, um, it's funny you say that. I, um, I, I always, I, I've always been brought up to try and see other people's perspectives. And, and I'm sure we all are. I'm not saying we all haven't been, but um, my elderly neighbor, who um, very, very sadly passed away yesterday, about two or three weeks ago, we had a, um, a conversation 
we were just, it just was general chit chat because he noticed the car wasn't on the drive and he was just like, and I was telling him I was home alone for the first time since lockdown had started um, and I was going to watch a film and stuff. And we just, we were talking and he, we're both people, people. And he got into the issue after maybe about 15 minutes of talking about Arsenal and Tottenham and driveways and cars about, you know, what's your, what's your views on all of this Black Lives Matter stuff? And then he obviously started with, you know, I'm not racist, you know, but, you know, all, you know, all of these protests are a bit, much in, and I think for him, I I, I um I agree with you, Pat. I'm not. I, there there are certain conversations where it's like I'm not. Come on, that's that's not why I'm here. Um, but for him, I, I felt like he was. I think I'd probably say he's in his seventies, um, probably late seventies. Um, so for him, I give him some grace because uh, maybe he's not as well versed on Wikipedia and and uh, ordering a Carlos book from you know Amazon or what have you. But it was it was interesting, and I it was nice to be able to make him feel comfortable enough to kind of be honest in the fact that he he didn't agree with the the, the protests and he didn't agree with quotas and we had a conversation about quotas and I think one of his friends lost a job or something and they brought in a black person to replace him and different things um, but I think with I think with people of certain generations and with people from certain backgrounds even though they're young and they're, they're, their heart their hearts are hardened and it may not be out of hate, it may just be out of, I guess, the generational uh, miseducation. Let's, that's a gracious way to put it, right? Um, and I enjoyed being able to, to, to put him at ease enough to be able to voice his, his, um, his I guess, his miseducation and be able mm-hmm. to tackle it and be able to kind of give him a perspective that he had never even dreamed of entertaining um, uh, in his, his wildest streams and, and, and it, was, it was a nice conversation where you know I, I was able to relate to him challenges that I faced with my career and with my experiences he was just like but why would that happen like you're such a nice guy Pete and I'm like yeah I know but I don't even get the opportunity to express that I'm a nice guy or that I'm qualified or that I'm educated enough or that I'm well suited or you know and there are certain things that happen and and I think there are instances, and I think, you know, same with quotas, same with teachers, same with everyone. There's not always a one size fits all. And I think the challenge with this conversation is that um, white people and media and people who want to help and, you know, allies sometimes want one answer, one solution, one size fits all. You know, what can I do to prove? What can I do to show? What can I do to help? What can I do to what it is, is, is saying that this is the problem. I can explain to you the problem if you've just missed it, but we're all smart enough to come up with solutions. And I think we are here to share our experiences and the Pat's experience is different from my experience, different to Andrew's experience, fellas and, you know, Lovelins and Toby's and ants. And the more of those experiences you understand in our own time, then hopefully the more nuanced, it's like the algorithm, right? The more you like stuff on Instagram and Facebook, the more it realizes, oh, it doesn't like that content, it likes that content. The more we share our experiences, somebody please build an algorithm of people and minds sitting down mm. to figure out that this is a problem, let's solve it. You know, Same way that I'm sure once upon a time they figured out that um, people dying on, on train tracks was a problem. Enough for me to see a video in primary school 
and secondary school about people dying on train tracks or about people taking drugs to see a video in secondary school about uh, the girl that died from ecstasy in, in primary school. So that to me is, I think, the, the, the challenge. And hopefully people just understand that the same minds that solve other problems in the world should care enough to solve this problem that doesn't affect them probably. Do you think um, Black Lives Matter has had and will have a lasting impact on the Black Brit experience or has it already? My experience of Black Lives Matter sort of being, experiencing lockdown, not being at work, you know, on paternity leave, living a sort of weird life that's not like, it doesn't feel like my life. Mm. Just sort of watching everything go past. I feel like things have changed. I think part of it's Black Lives Matter. I think part of it's people have just had enough time at home to get mobilised and get angry about things and start getting involved. You know, personally, we've had like a really weird sort of time time of it where, um, for instance, the the school that my stepchildren go to, um, it, it was named after a person who had made his fortune in some part from slavery. And they're actually stepping back and going, okay, what can we do about this? You know, uh, should we be renaming the school? And, you know, they're taking that into consideration. And actually, you know, there was a huge march that happened in one of the local parks. And the area that I live in is predominantly white. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, these, these are people who are like, up until this incident, were very uncomfortable talking about race. Like, well, that, you know, as I'm projecting, but I, I, I would assume because you know, I never heard it brought up before. But suddenly, these people are talking about it. Suddenly, it's something that's being discussed in the parent groups, and actually, they want to get involved. They, they, you know, the, the kids are having discussions about racism that they've never had before, which is really powerful and really interesting. And you know, they're, they're thinking actually about renaming the school after one of the old head teachers who was, you know, one of the first black head teachers in the country. These, these things that they're uncovering and you know, the lengths that they're prepared to go to, I'm not sure would have happened without that perfect storm of Black Lives Matter, um, you know, the tragedy that was George Lloyd's death, um, without this, this whole like, pandemic and being locked down at home. You know, without all these things sort of coming together, we wouldn't have started looking at those things. So I think things have definitely changed. The mm. bigger question is, will we snap back to our old lives should this ever pass I'm, whether or not it passes I think Matt for everyone to work out for themselves but at the end of this where, where do we go where do we go from there you know do, do we maintain this sort of semi-wokeness that everyone has picked up or will we go back to our lives I think nothing will be the same but I don't know if that's pessimistic or dramatic or whatever um, yeah I don't think our lives will ever go back to pre-covid and i don't know if that's the worst thing in the world some things will be better i.e less face-to-face meetings that don't need to be because it can be a team <laughs> but some things will probably be worse not your favorite thing yeah i completely agree i don't think we're ever going to go back to um what life was before you know wavemaker roots has been going for almost two years now um just two two years in october and this is, you know, a huge, like, I've seen a huge surge in interest, in movement from allies, from, you know, um, other people within the business, which I think is, is great. Uh, I don't think we're going to go back to what it was before Black Lives Matter, personally. Um, just keep up the momentum, I think, you know. 
And that closes off episode two and our two-part special with our guests. Thank you to Andrea, Pat and Peter for their time. It's much appreciated. And thank you to you for listening. Yes, yes. Next episode, we'll be taking it back to our roots, our media roots, that is, as we talk about our experiences of media and advertising as black employees working for the man. Not to flex, but we have a very special guest next episode, so you would be very silly to miss it. Make sure you join us next week, and don't forget to share this podcast on all your socials. Peace. Bye.